Blog Talk Radio. This is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, inviting you to our 16th Black Wall Street Economic Summit Saturday, July 9th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago. All eyes on the district as we address parity on contracts. RSVP by calling 312-624-8351. Thank you. Register today for the 2011 Black Wall Street USA National Convention and have a chance to win a seven-day Caribbean cruise, including airfare and accommodations. Trip arranged by a travelmoment.com. Representatives from 27 Black Wall Street districts from around the nation will convene on Gary, Indiana from October 21st to the 23rd at the Genesis Convention Center. This year's theme is Make Me a World. To have a chance to win the seven-day Caribbean cruise, you must register online at blackwallstreetdistrict.com. That's blackwallstreetdistrict.com. Hey, churches, church groups, auxiliaries, pastors, we want to hear from you. If you and your ministry have got what it takes to be contestants on the new Christian game show, just say the word. Here's what we want you to do. Check out www.masterstylemedia.com forward slash gospel TV. This is where you can find details and information about this hot new Christian game show that's going to help unite the body of Christ by seeing what you know about the word and challenging you to learn more. We're calling on everybody, ushers, the mother's board, deacons, servants. We want to hear from you. Again, www.masterstylemedia.com forward slash gospel TV. If you and your church have got what it takes to be contestants on Just Say the Word, we want to hear from you. Come on and check us out. God bless. Hi, I'm Marshat Turner, National Program Director and Executive Director of the Rainbow Push Coalition. Prepare to be inspired and enlightened during our 40th annual Rainbow Push Coalition and Citizenship Education Fund Conference. To be held June 18th through the 22nd here in Chicago, Illinois, at the historic Chicago Hilton and Towers. Some of our featured speakers and panelists for this five-day event include Carrie Lundgren, President and CEO of Macy's Incorporated, Randy Weingarten, President of the American Federation of Teachers, and Judge Greg Mathis. Join us as we examine some of America's most pressing dilemmas. Be a part of history. Please visit our website at www rainbowpush.org or give us a call at 773-256-2700. We encourage you to join the Reverend Jesse L. Jackson Sr. during this historic event. Be there. Kosha, why we can't go outside and play today? Baby, because there's too much happening out there. We got misguided people in this world who turn to violence. And use guns, and sometimes innocent people like you and me get caught in the middle of it. Well, what's wrong with them? Baby, I don't know. They need changing a lot. Tired of reading these TV screens and headlines don't seem to show that they dreams and childhood. 
a gunfight. Ain't no name on them bullets when they take flight. And so we're praying that God for a safe night. Right? This is getting what wild out here. Should no parent ever have to lose their child out here? So how we gon' gain peace of mind out here when the message unheard, though it's loud and so clear? It make me wanna fly way, highway, but I gotta say, we don't reach on these streets trying to show a better way. everyone you are listening to black wall street usa for thursday june 16 2011 we're broadcasting from the office of the south street journal in chicago i'm sitting here watching the traffic from 20 feet windows and looking out across at the lake mellow lake metal shopping center on 35th street in bronzeville come check out the view it's a wonderful view it's a lot going on the reception Leading up to the summit, Summit 16 for Black Wall Street will be right here at this office, Friday, June 24th, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 449 East 35th Street here in Chicago. 
If you haven't been over to these offices, you should stop by. There are about 60 paintings on the wall done by the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. You didn't know he was an artist, did you? So you should stop by on June 24th from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at 449 East 35th Street. We look forward to seeing you. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network, author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, and your co-host for this evening's show. Our host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and publisher of the South Street Journal, will be joining us shortly. By the way, if you'd like to do a book discussion, call me, 312-239-8835. After uh, the chairman joins us and we get an update of what's going on on Black Wall Street Chicago in the districts, and on Summit 16, now Summit 16 is coming up on July the 9th. That's the actual summit from 8.30 to 4.30 at Prince Hall Masonic Temple at 809 East 42nd Place. Now, if you haven't been over to the temple, people ride up and down Cottage Grove and say, what is that building? What is that building? You should go in and see what that building is. It's been totally renovated. It is gorgeous. You should stop over July the 9th, Prince Masonic Temple, Prince Hamasani Temple. That's Summit 16. Joining us tonight will be Ms. Barbara Baker, co-chair of NCOBRA, the Chicago chapter. NCOBRA will be hosting its 22nd annual national conference, June 24th through the 26th at the Sixth Grace Presbyterian Church at 600 East 35th Street. The number for tickets and to join, they're having a great banquet on Saturday night. The number is 773-720-0648. That's 773-720-0648. The theme is Never Give Up. Be Prepared for Reparations Now. And uh, Ms. Barbara Baker is the co-chair, and she's going to share with us who's going to be the keynote speaker, great keynote speakers. There will be workshops, report from the trenches, there will be a town hall meeting. They got it going on. Also joining us this evening will be Mr. Frank Lawrence of Commercial Residential Partners in Maryland. And Black Wall Street is going green. We're going to talk about green energy this evening. Our caller number is 347-326-9477, 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That's how we connect. That's how we stay in touch with you. Press the number one. You must press the number one if you'd like to speak to our host, one of our guests, if you have a question or a comment. We want to thank last week's guest. Uh, That was a great show, really great show. Mr. Al Wynn, author of A Pimp and a Hustler, joined us last week, and our question was, what does a pimp and a hustler have to do with economics? Because, you know, this is a business-based show. It's all about sustaining and increasing black businesses across the city and the country. It's a great show. You can listen to that show in our archives. You can listen to all of our 154 shows. If you're up to it in our archives, we started this um in 2008, and we're up to show number 154. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me. <laughs> we also uh, had a former underdrug agent, undercover drug agent, on the show last week. She's the author, Miss Huff. And uh, 
not going to give that away. Once you go to the archives and listen to the show, that was a great show. We're also going to do another interview with Ms. Huff because we want to we want to get into that. We're also setting up some interviews, uh, and you can contact me directly with authors uh, across the city and country because this is a national international show. So we're going to be setting up a, a half hour interviews with authors. So if you're interested, please give us a call. We would love to love to make you part of everything that we do. That we do. Listening to Black Wall Street USA, I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, and uh, waiting for our host to sign in. He should be in in a moment. What we're going to do? We're going to take a short break here. We're going to listen to a little music. We're going to come back, and we're going to bring the uh, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago on and our first guest. We really want to thank you for being a part of all that we do. Strategic Solutions Network, Inc., SSN, invites you to learn how to give your organization an economic energy boost. SSN's management consultants offer fundraising, program development, and capacity-building solutions that can take your agency to the next level of success. For more information about SSN, visit their website at www.ssncandoit.com. That's www.ssncandoit.com, a proud member of Chicago's Black Business Network. Join us for a job and resource fair hosted by ETS Events on Wednesday, June 22nd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Fernwood United Methodist Church located at 10057 South Wallace in Chicago. Bring your best presentation for this job fair on Wednesday, June 22nd at 10057 South Wallace. For information, visit www.etsceo.com. That's etsceo.com.
you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Purdue, your co-host for this evening, the founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Ron Carter, the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, will be joining us in a moment. Just wanted to remind you, as you heard earlier, ETS Events and CBBN will be hosting a job and resource fair on Wednesday, June 22nd at the Fernwood United Methodist Church, located at 157 South Wallace in Chicago. That's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. want to share some of the uh, confirmed employees who will be with us on next Wednesday. Uh, so far confirmed Sears, Manufacturer Works, Harmony Health Plan, Marquette Bank, Chase Bank, American Interco- Intercontinental University, PACE, Test Drive College Online, Grand Canyon University, Prepaid Legal, Illinois Institute of Technology, Digby Security, Star Security, East West University, Student Financial Outreach Center, Restaurant Opportunity Center of Chicago, and Batchett Staffing. And we have some more coming up. So we really want you to join us. That's Wednesday, June 22nd. We want you to spread the word. That's firm with United Methodist Church. The Reverend Dr. Albert Sampson is the pastor there. That's 157 South Wallace. That's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Just want to say one thing about Restaurant Opportunity Center of Chicago. Most of you have not heard of this program, but it is a free training program. It trains individuals no cost, it's like a six-week training section session to work in restaurants, but it trains them to work in upscale restaurants because the number of minorities, blacks, and Hispanics who work in upscale restaurants, who serve in upscale restaurants, is uh, very low, and that is their focus. And they have a great story. They have a great story as to how – this particular organization was formed on 9/11. I'm just I'm just going to share this a little bit with you. On 9/11, at the top of the uh, Trade Center, there was a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant, and you know, of course, that the more majority of those people uh, were killed that day. So, as a tribute to them, those who survived uh, started up this. Center, this opportunity center for people to work in fine dining. That that the restaurant had been there over 20 years. The employees were long-term employees, and that's how Restaurant Opportunity Center of Chicago was founded. They have like four or five locations across the country. As a matter of fact, I took a couple of classes there out of curiosity, and I, I do have a desire to have a restaurant. One of my other 1,003 things to do, but we can do that. That's what we do. You listen to Black Wall Street USA, and uh, let's see if the chairman has arrived. Ron Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sonia. Yes, I have arrived. It's hot outside, getting hot. It's going to be a hot summer. What you doing outside when we got a show? What you doing outside when we got a show? Because I was taking care of business. (laughs) I was taking care of business. Uh I'm taking some good business. I'll be glad to share that business with the uh, listeners uh, by hopefully by the end of next week, a little turnaround for uh, South Street Journal and Black Wall Street. So it's uh, still good to be out there, but, but it is going to be a hot winter. I just, I mean, a hot summer. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's definitely going to be one. Um, I can. Well, well thank you for the weather forecast, there, Chairman. Yeah. Let's what yeah, what, yeah. Well, thank you. Well, let's find out what is going on first of all uh, with Black Wall Street. 
Wow, what's going on with Black Wall Street? We had a, what happened? Uh, I opened my mouth last night. I was on a cable program, <laughs> and a um, um, uh, the interviewer asked me that. Well, they asked me the question regarding our mayor, and it just rumbled off my mouth that the mayor looks like they are reneging on Black Wall Street's uh, uh, their uh, pledge to us. They pledged that they would support the um, the automatic menu uh, in parity of the contracts. Now the mayor is saying that he wants to disband this um, automatic menu for the alderman, in which they get $1.3 million a year. And so our agenda was that that $1.3 million need to go toward the construction of those people there are racial imperity to that particular ward. So now that the mayor is taking that away, not only is he taking some pet projects from the alderman, he's always he it seems as though he's taking away his pledge and his agreement with Black Wall Street. So we got a um a, an issue right now with the mayor regarding our parity legislation. And um that is uh and then we talked to uh, former commissioner Tony Pereca, uh who's not well, he's a former commissioner, and uh, we interviewed him from a, a South Street Journal, and he raised the interesting question that sometimes we overlook since we're in the midst of things that not one black alderman has stood up and questioned the mayor's position to the point he's saying it looks like we're getting ready to go back into this control mechanism. Uh, from City Hall. So the mayor also made his commitments in supporting the Black Wall Street districts. So we haven't heard from him. So we got a summit coming up July 9th. And at this summit, we definitely have some issues uh, to address to the mayor regarding the mayor, regarding the automatic menu. Uh, we have our districts that are developing there is some issues concerning the, the TIF money, how it operates. Uh, we have our youth movement, which is called YATI. And YATI stands for Youth Empowerment Through Entrepreneurship, YATI. So they are on the midst of securing uh, three objectives, such as establishing a business before July 9th, um, they did establish their framework of operation, and they also got to be the example for others to engage into entrepreneurship. Uh, so our agenda, again, is going to be packed, even to the point that we're going to have a representation from the uh, CMAP, Chicago Metropolitan Area Planning, uh, from the Chicago Urban League, from uh, the University of Chicago, from uh, Danny Davis' office, Congressman Rush' office. So this agenda is packing. As always, as we get closer to the summit, the agenda items shift. And then because they shift, we come to the summit and we make a resolution on the direction that we need to go. So getting close to the summit is, um, what is it, four weeks away? 
It's a few weeks away. It's four weeks away. You're listening to Black Wall yeah. Street USA with the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Let's go back to the beginning, Chairman, because you said a mouthful. People may not know what you're talking about when you're talking about the automatic menu. Now, I do recall uh, pointing out to you before the last mayor left, he was he put his hand in and he was reducing the power of the alderman. He was playing around with the that one point three million that you say that the aldermen have, uh, to stri- to distribute to their particular districts. Now explain for those who don't know what you mean by the automatic menu. Well, it is no more than the uh, capital improvements that the city of Chicago is going to perform regardless. The city have to work on sidewalks. They have to work on the streets. They have to work on um, uh, uh, new streets. They have to work on capital improvement throughout the city of Chicago. That's a mandatory budget item is the uh, doing capital improvement that's ongoing. However, the automatic menu is they're going to do beyond $1.3 million per ward. Normally they do. But they set aside $1.3 million per year uh, for each alderman to decide how that $1.3 million is going to be spent in their ward uh, based on their priorities. And that is what they submit to the mayor's office and more like giving the mayor's office instructions on these are the priorities of how $1.3 million should be spent in my ward. Our concern with that $1.3 million that the Alderman has jurisdiction over, except for the contract procurement for that money, because for so long we have seen disparity in the black wards that we do not see a fair representation of capital improvement workers working in the community. So what we're calling is for parity legislation whereby the aldermen also have contract procurement control where they must make sure that the work is done is in parity to the racial population of that ward. So if Alderman Fioretti in the second ward got 50% black people live in his ward, the work that's done of that $1.3 million, uh, what is that, uh, $500,000 and $200,000 need to go to black people. And then the remaining go to the other racial population of that ward. So if we're looking at the 17th ward, and it is 90% African American, then 90% of that $1.3 million need to be contracted out to that racial population of that ward. The same way with the far west side, the far northwest side of the 42nd ward. If it's 90% white, white should get 90% of those contracts. That is one way that we see parity, at least 
and what a lot of alderments uh, have stated that that $1.3 million is crumbs compared to what the contracts are really let out for um, um, who, $200 million and $500 million, and we're just asking for a piece of $1.3. Our direction is that $1.3 is a measurable tool that we know that we're going to get that and that we build a base to get the greater based on bonding, resource, uh, financing, uh, to take on one of those major contracts because it takes upfront money to even to handle it. But we can handle $1.3 million. So that is what we are calling for, and the mayor indicated that he wants to take that power of authority from the alderman to balance the budget. Our question is he's going to balance the budget unless he's going to stop that capital improvement work from going on in those wards. So it's something that's been in existence for maybe at least 20 years under uh, Richard Daly when he was the mayor uh, to give the alderman some type of uh, say-so and priority of the of the work that's going to be going going in the ward. Keep in mind that $1.3 million is probably maybe about uh, 10% of the total of construction work from public entities going on in each ward. Does that make any kind of sense to you, Sonia? It made some kind of sense to me, Chairman. Some kind of so, sense. <laughs> All right. I understand what you're saying because, and I think it was important to say, yes, that that $5 million, uh coming out the overall uh, capital investment and improvements is just a drop in the bucket. But Correct. that's not, it's just two separate issues. You are, we're still concerned about the majority of, the construction, not that they're not. That uh, automatic menu is just one part of the a small part of the total. Right, very small, that very does, small. It doesn't doesn't remove you from qualifying from the rest of it or engaging the city in dialogue about the rest of it. So, uh, as I said, so the previous mayor daily started tweaking with it and remove their power, some of the power from it on April 9th. So then the new mayor comes in and wants to total, instead of say, oh, no, we just, because he did remove some of the uh, items from that power. So instead of doing that as to what they could do with that automatic menu, he was removing that. He did that on April 9th. I don't have the article in front of me. But he he started that before he left. He set the tone when he started messing with it on April 9th. So then the new man said, oh, no, we're not going to just play with it like that. We're just going to take it away from him. Is that what you're saying, Mm -hmm. Chairman? That's it. That's it. And Mm -hmm. so, but at the same time, there is a question of taking the power away from the alderman or versus taking the services away from the wards. That is not clear. Um, And then if you're still providing those capital improvement services, then why take total control of the contract procurement, which gives signs that black people may not even receive that amount? And the irony of it is is that uh, Mayor Emanuel made a commitment to Black Wall Street that they support this parity legislation. So um, he might have been hyper during the campaign, 
but there should have been some communication to Black Wall Street on why he is uh, backing down or if he officially is. We still haven't got no official communication, uh, only based on uh, a series of events that tells us that he's backing down. Okay. So that's going uh, to be one of those major issues that's going to make this summer hot. Well, I think as I listen to you, and one of the other things that you indicated, Chairman, is that in removing the automatic menu from the aldermans, like you said, it hasn't the finale is not over yet. But do we do we once again do we once again need to wait till it's over? Uh, the aldermen um, have not responded, or we just don't know what the response is. Uh, well, they have not returned our phone calls. They've given South Street Journal a little runaround in returning phone calls. Send me an email. Uh, we gave them uh, a time frame to respond. They did not respond. Uh, everybody is busy. However, there is some protocol as far as communicating with their uh, well, with the public. And it's the way I take it, uh, treat me like you treat any other media. Get back That's with right. me. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Now, um, you know. in, in doing so, uh, I know on previous show you did name the names of a couple of aldermen who were supposed to bring that the parity issue to the council. Uh, what are their positions now? No, Those uh, are them? three of the aldermen. We have communication with um, aldermen. Um, well, we, we are in communication with two aldermen, Alderman Emma Mitz on the west side, Alderman uh, Willie Cochran in the 20th Ward, and both of them have showed strong interest. As they have shown strong interest, those two particular aldermen was not at our summit. The aldermen that was at the summit that made their commitment to the parish of legislation was uh, Alderman um, Will Burns and Alderman Latasha Thomas. Uh, Alderman uh, Howard Brookins indicate he was supportive of it, but he would have concerns to make sure in getting such a legislation passed, that they definitely be uh, the contracts ready to do the work. It's a difference than getting some legislation passed, and then once you get it passed, you're still not able to feel the obligation of the law in which this uh, ordinance was passed. So that was, uh, and but at the same time, no elected official alderman helped to get back with us regarding this uh, matter. So we just have to uh, press the issue and um, contribute to it being a hot summer. Well, as Black Wall Street Chicago uh, addresses this issue, we do know from our past experiences on this show, and you know from your years of activism, that uh, this is not a Chicago issue, and the country should be watching what's going on here. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network, and we're here with the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and we're leading up to summit number 16 on July 24. Are we expecting Emma Mitz at this next summit? 
We will get a probably a good confirmation of all those elected officials uh, by next week and what their role uh, will be at the summit and um, their capacity. Uh, matter of fact, the aldermen that showed up at the last summit, the only one we were respecting was Latasha Thomas, but two others <laughs> kind of showed up surprisingly and made their commitment. Uh, so the summits are a accountability, not just of our government officials, our elected officials, and our businesses, but there is also an accountability of Black Wall Street. What have we done, what we have not done, what we need to do, what we can do, and what we can't do. And uh, based on that assessment at the summit, then we will move the agenda on to somebody else's responsibility or we know to hold back until we have the proper ingredients to make a Pacific uh, legislation, not legislation, resolution be activated. Um, and so this is our accountability uh, internally and externally based on our mission to sustain and increase our black businesses. And our guests are on the line, and we do want to thank them for their patience. And I just want to say, uh, Sonia Cassandra Purdue turned journalist, but you have to read yes, my story. Yes, you did. <laughs> turned journalist, uh, because of Ron Carter, was mm -hmm. at the uh, town hall meeting in Chicago last Wednesday evening. Correct. Um, when uh, the Honorable Minister Farrakhan called a town hall meeting at the Harold Washington Culture Center. But you have to read my story in the South Street Journal uh, mm -hmm. coming out this week. But I am That's now right. a, a journalist among the, all the other 150 things I do, and you too can have 100 jobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. You are on the byline on page two as a assignment writer for South Street Journal. Isn't that something? That's now, right. uh, come over here and work with Ryan Carter. You will have 100 jobs, too. You listen to Black Wall Street. I kid you not. I called the mm. university today to uh, ask for some interns, and I told them the truth. I said, when they get finished, their resume will be hella fat. Believe me, it will. <laughs> there will be nothing they can say that they did not do <laughs> mm -hmm. over here at uh, Black Wall Street. But, uh, I know. They catch me by surprise and doing things I didn't know I can do. <laughs> hey, it's not that you don't know you can do it. You just don't do it. But, hey, jump, jump on over here. <laughs> just go ahead and do it. You will find out. We're going to take a big brief break. We'll thank, we'll brief break. We're going to thank Ms. Barbara Baker for being with us. And as soon as the break comes back, we're going to bring the co-chair of Encobra on. Thank you so much for being with us. This is Black Wall Street USA. I got my mind made up. Ain't nothing going to stop me from feeling this way. I'm feeling good. Ain't nothing wrong with a good thing. And I'm making history on this day. Oh, I'm feeling good. I really want it with so much now that I've learned to appreciate. Oh, yeah. And I'm feeling good. I'm but the reason for all this energy is because I feed off the power of faith, optimism, and positivity. And in case you didn't know it, the fun has started. And all efforts to maintain it 
cannot be done half-hearted. Now recognize, they say time flies when you're having fun, but I say the more time you got for fun, the less time flies. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening. And I'm feeling good, my mind made up, ain't nothing going to For this smile on my face and why I appreciate every breath It's because I'm surrounded by a lot of love and respect Plus I realize the more we appreciate, the more we get back And that's not theory, it's fact But you want to know the real reason why I'm just grinning and cheesing? It's simply because I'm still breathing the sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. Yeah, I'm my mind made up, ain't nothing going to me from feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this life, never felt so great, but the real reason I'm excited is because I recognize negativity and know exactly how to fight it. Plus, it's by my conscience in which I am guided. I am way too blessed to be stressed. For me, nothing is impossible. I am too reluctant to succumb to the pressures of worldly obstacles. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. Yeah, my mind made up, ain't nothing going to I'm feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, I've been rewarded with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this life, never felt so great. Join us for a job and resource fair hosted by ETS Events on Wednesday, June 22nd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Fernwood United Methodist Church located at 10057 South Wallace in Chicago. Bring your best presentation for this job fair on Wednesday, June 22nd at 10057 South Wallace. For information, visit www.etsceo.com. That's etsceo.com. You listen to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Join us every Thursday evening right here for Black Wall Street USA. We're here from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Thursdays, and we want you to be with us to be a part of sustaining and increasing black businesses across the country. 
Welcome back to the show, Ron. Let's welcome our first guest. Yeah. You here? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> okay. Miss <laughs> Barbara Baker is on the line. Let's welcome our first guest, Chairman. Yes, Miss Barbara Baker. Yeah, Midwest uh, Regional Rep for Encobra. Okay, how are you doing this evening? I am just exhausted planning for this wonderful, fantastic conference that we're going to have starting Thursday, June 23rd, when we have a press conference. And okay. For those, yeah, for those who uh, have prayer on Fridays 1 to 3, which one of our uh, participants informed me, we will have the tour on Thursday from mm-hmm. 1 to 3. And then those who are not Muslims, they can go on the tour Friday 1 to 3. So we want to show the people this black Bronzeville area. One person said, black Wall Street? She said, I thought it was only one Wall Street. I said, oh, no, we have the Chicago Wall Street, black mm-hmm. Wall Street. So we're, right. we're going to be uh, showing off Chicago. Okay, so that's going to be kicking off on Thursday? Yeah, Thursday we're having our uh, 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 press conference. Okay, and then you're having... All and right. Friday, and then after, Friday is a, Friday is our opening. Okay. Uh-huh. And then what's happening Saturday? Saturday is our banquet and our keynote address by Dr. Haki Manabute. Okay. Third War right. Press publisher, author, poet, activist, a national lifetime member of Encobra as well as a Chicago lifetime member of Encobra. So he yeah. really believes in reparations. Yeah, and he'd be very thorough in his documentation and presentation as it relates mm-hmm. to, I know specifically, the black male. And I will take oh, it that, that he's going to. Yeah. Right, and I'll take it that he's going to surround, because of his work, he will be surrounding his remarks on and Cobra as it relates to reparations. And exactly. the black youth. You think that's right. a, a, a can be a, a possible way that he would make his presentation? I think so. I think so because he knows our theme is uh, never give up. Be prepared for reparation now. The only way you can be prepared is that you have the internal reparation. You're open for the way things should be, and then you have the ability to unite with others, and mm-hmm. not think that. It's a one-person show. We have to work with this together. Right now, the United Nations is boycotting the next uh, report on racism. Israel and the United Nations are boycotting it. And see, that's not the way it should be. And right now, now why are they boycotting it? Well, uh, the first time they did it when in Geneva for the review, they said it was because of those uh, comments made about Israel. Claiming, uh, I mean, stating that Israel does, in fact, uh, terrorize people and that Israel is not living up to their human rights. Mm-hmm. Now, so, uh, how does this here uh, relate to, uh, I guess, two things? One, what does um, reparation mean in a real look at it, uh, or a a big glance of reparations. What does that mean then? What does it mean now? What we need to expect from it? And how is 
colleges that form? So those are two questions. Can you address those two for me? Well, uh, we we have identified five injury areas. Okay, areas well, what is reparations I... first? Tell me, what's reparation? What is that okay, all about? Okay, reparation, uh, the root word in reparation is repair. And, of course, when you injure somebody, they need to be repaired. You injure their property, you injure their culture, you injure their uh, ability to have full economic rights. You've injured all these areas, and that now, has to be repaired. Okay, now, what relationships does reparation have with 40 acres and a mule? Or is there any okay. relationship, or is that a separate uh, accountability of the government? No, what happened uh, back in 1865, uh, after the uh, uh, the emancipation was passed, whereby blacks was free, the people in Texas didn't know anything about it until uh, two years later. And then during the Civil War time, John Sherman noticed how bad they were treating the ex-slaves. They're supposed to be free, but look at them. They kept on following him around. So then some of the blacks in the South decided to look at him as, here comes our dream person. He's going to solve our problems. So he decided to have a, the Shermans, the famous Sherman's uh, order. I can't remember the number right now. The order was to give these ex-slaves 40 acres of mule and $50. Mm-hmm. And so then some slaves were fortunate enough to receive that. But then the white Slave masters decided to protest, and so later on they had to stop. And then the other part of that uh, puzzle is that uh, there was a Freeman's Bank set up. I'm trying to remember the black person who was in charge of it, but nevertheless, was that, that Freeman's Bank, right? That was him. That Freeman's Bank ran out of money, so they ran out of money. The white folks are saying, "I ain't giving back my pro- I ain't giving my property to no free uh, black person." Of course, we weren't called that then, right? And Correct. so that was changed. So, as a result, the forty acres of mule was reneged on. It was reneged so on. Do, as a matter of fact, any number is there any number of, of record to indicate exactly how many blacks actually receive? 40 acres of mule and $50. Is there any? Okay. Uh, no, I don't record? know of any. But I know of someone personally who received it. You she know lives someone in personally a very nice it? place in Carolina. She's in downtown Carolina. She said, We and got our reparation. So she is actually inheriting the the benefit. I'm sorry, I'm in a place where they were asking me a question. Uh, is she actually benefiting uh, from oh, the yeah. inheritance of a 40 acres of mule and $50? Yeah, I think she's benefiting. She had a home here in Chicago after she retired from the uh, state of Illinois. She went to, uh, I think she's in Charlotte. When did she receive uh, it? Oh, when did the family receive it? It yeah, seemed like it's the... like a family thing. Oh, okay, so they <laughs> are passing... Barbie. They pass in the fruits of that 40 acres in a mule of uh, approximately over 100 years ago. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I should. Uh, yeah, I would think that. Yeah, I would okay. think that. Okay. 
So uh, with that in mind, if the uh, free slaves then did receive that 40 acres in the mule, would we be having a conversation regarding reparations today? If all of them would have received it, is that was that your question? Correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would think not. We wouldn't have that conversation because justice would have been served. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did reparations start? Uh, was uh, was first introduced uh, by who, and how did it actually? Yeah, when were reparations first introduced to the uh, the American public? Well, it might have been introduced before uh, 1987 when a group of lawyers were having a conference, and they decided we are to test this U.S. Constitution and see why can't things be the way they're supposed to be. So okay, as a so result of that, that meeting... It, it was, it was uh, you, you're thinking that reparations first was introduced in the United States prior to... Um, 1987, uh, 1987 1987 is basically when it was introduced uh, When did it start Now Was people like um, Marcus Garvey Talking reparation Oh yeah See reparation also includes You have a choice of going Where you want to go If you don't right. want to no, stay in did, this did, country Did Marcus Garvey ever address The issue of reparation Oh, I'm not aware of that, but I love okay. his uh, uh, his uh, declaration. His declaration is right on target. Mm-hmm. His declaration okay. is right so on target. When the, okay, what was the next uh, historical mark for reparations here in, uh, in America uh, from uh, 1886? Uh, I wish I had Winbush uh, thing. Winbush has a nice little outline of all those different uh, record-breaking things that have happened. And what's, uh, what struck me about uh, Professor Raymond Winbush's uh, Belinda's petition is that my daughter's name is Belinda. Belinda was a smart cookie back in 1700 and something. And what happened is that she was working for a slave master who was dodging the government. So all of a sudden she's worked at the slave master uh plantation for years and years and the slave master cuts out and leaves them there so then Mm -hmm. she got someone else to help her and they went to the courts and petitioned and she got uh, reparation for herself and her child about what year was this 1792 I believe 1792 prior to prior to the 18 something Mm -hmm. okay so so we've we've had some smart cookies around so I wish Belinda could have shared start? that. Uh, the reparation thing, as we know it now, started probably in uh, uh, let's see, March on Washington, two thousand two. That was strong reparation. We had a lot of people in Washington. So well, when did uh, in Cobra start? What year did? In oh, Cobra we started. We started start? in eighteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. We started. Nineteen ninety. Okay. Right. How was right, it? Right. Right. Right after. Right after that. Uh, lawyers Conference That's when it was formulated And COBRA was formulated At the 1987 Lawyers Conference mm-hmm. And that was the late Dr. Imari Obadelli And uh, presently Attorney Adjoa Who would be in Chicago For our conference 
uh, and she'll be on the panel uh, for the June 24th town hall meeting where we're going to talk about national minority rights, sovereignty, self-determination, as reparation. Mm-hmm. So, so we will be. What what's the uh, what is hope to come out of the uh, conference uh, coming up? And relate as it relates to reparations, what are we hoping and looking to actually happen? Well, what we are looking and expecting to happen is that we will further push what the United States declared, as what actually the United Nations declared, 2011 as the International Year for People of African Descent. So what we want to do is push that. As a matter of fact, I got a call from. Uh, okay, well, what six, does that mean? I mean, pushing that. That what means does that they want they want how we will push for it. I mean, what we does will, it mean to be calling it the year of the African American descent? Oh, they when say, say they African say they want to give descent. us recognition. They want to give us recognition. They want to give us justice and development so that we can enjoy a fuller okay. life in all aspects. Right. Well, give me, give me some example yep. uh, uh, of justice and full development. Is there okay. a plan of activities or objectives or measurements that the – now, you're saying that the United Nations is Yeah, saying, they declared that. Okay, so uh, descendants of Africa, does that mean non-African or blacks that do not live in Africa? Or and does that it include blacks in any pardon? Right, international. So that means people from all over, the islands and everywhere. International okay. year of people of African descent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it's more than uh, just African Americans. Is there going to be some type of formal uh, ceremony or some type of decoration that's going to be presented? Uh, to say that this is the year of the uh, African descendants? Uh, well, uh, in Cobra, we'll be presenting something because uh-huh. we will speak powerfully to the theme in its entirety. We will amplify the many statements and gestures and proclamations that have been, have recon- have been recognized in part the harms of enslavement and segregation. And we so what is point. what is expected to happen here in Chicago? Is there any particular direction? For example, I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit. Uh, okay. That we had the uh, descendants of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, last year at the uh, National Black Wall Street Summit here in Chicago. Right. Right. And uh-huh. you know we looked at the um, uh, the documentary of uh, Before They Die. And the focus was to allocate reparations for what happened to them in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. However, the documentary basically states, uh, we feel your pain, and here's a gold pen. Now, right. Well, it wasn't even gold, remember? It was well, like bronze. Well, gold, well, yeah, I think, yeah, they said it was, what, uh, some uh, some paper wraps up in, in right, gold. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know, but so <laughs> is that what is going to make reparations any different than blacks receiving a gold uh, uh, medallion? Uh, taking in consideration that uh, Morgan Chase Bank was found guilty 
of harvesting slaves through uh, his parent and founding company, J.P. Morgan. And so that made Chase Bank. We had court cases against them. Right. So now Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, uh, admitted their wrongdoing in slavery, but because they could not identify the number of the slaves that they had in their database at that time with present day um with present day blacks chase made a 5 million dollar donation to scholarship funds for anybody that lived in Louisiana and the and Chicago what age, urban, range, what, the, age, what age range was it, Ron? Well, it wasn't age. no age range. They oh, indicated that, oh. no, it said anyone that wants to go to college, uh, mm-hmm. Chase Bank put aside $5 million for that purpose. And they mm-hmm. only uh, looked at people that actually proved that they were from the state of Louisiana because their slave trade operations was based in Louisiana. Uh, oh, really? and I didn't know those details. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't read South Street Journal um, uh, about four years ago when we reported on that. You missed that then. Okay. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. well, as a matter of fact, I guess it was more than four years. I think it was about uh, two or three years prior to uh, Katrina that this announcement. At that time, Richard Daly not Richard Daly, I'm sorry, William Daly, uh, the brother of uh, Richard Daly, was the uh, chairman of Chase Bank that made oh, these yeah, allocations. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He had a okay. big-time job. Correct. Now, so what is it going to, how can we look at reparations that being any different because if the strategy of Chase Bank indicates that they can only allocate these funds. They could not allocate the funds because there was no proof of the number of the slave with the present living black person. So, and so the absence of identifying who they should pay reparations because of their slave trade business, that um, they're stuck. And there's no accountability uh, of matching numbers with present day. So how do reparations actually address situations like that? That is a good question, Ron. And uh, what I'm looking at now is that uh, we have a gentleman speaking from the Lost Foundation of Islam, and he presents a very strong uh, strategy for us to win reparation. Admed Sadiq. He will be speaking at the town hall meeting on that Friday evening. And uh, when you all finish with your reception, come on over, because we're going to go all the way up to about 10-something. Okay. Uh, he says, he says, we cannot go to the United States and ask for reparation. We should have other countries to push the United States to do that and also to get the other countries who've been involved in this slave trade as well. To be now, my hard. understanding is that Conrad Rowell, Dr. Conrad Rowell, uh, maybe about three or four years ago, 
uh, he wanted to put reparations on the United Nations agenda in New York, uh, but they denied him. What can be any difference when you say that you go outside the the uh, United States to get other countries to push for reparations when they well, denied Conrad for actually even being on the agenda? Well, well, uh, Ron, this has to be done very cle- cleverly. I just, I just heard comments. I just read comments from a high power person in China. He said the United States has a lot of human rights laws that they're not following. Look how they treat the African Americans and other minorities. They have no business pointing their fingers at uh, uh, these other countries who are they call themselves, who the United States says are not abiding by the Human Rights Act. And so then we can look at Brazil. Brazil would be in our corner. They would say, yes, we will help you. Well, how do you get that on the United Nations agenda And when, uh, when that has been the problem? They can back it, but do they have the lobbying power to convince the other nations to put the reparation agenda at the United Nations? And are, well, or I, have I would they think they have the that need to do that. Pardon? Well, I've 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 observed the uh, the uh, the people at the United Nations, and when you think about the people of the United Nations, it is mostly people of color. Okay, well, how come they have not done so all this time? How come they have not put reparations on the agenda? Uh, for the descendants of Africa and mainly those in the United States. How come they have not? Because they are the majority of people of color. Right. Well, that's a good question again, and I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. So is there any uh, direction uh, uh, within Cobra to, to do that or Yes, is there it is. any we type of resolution that is going to be presented? It is, uh, it is. Uh, okay. Dr. Farid Muhammad, he's an international human rights associate of the American minorities, and he gave a presentation that when you're trying to get people together, do a survey and find out if they are of the same mindset. It has to do with what is their belief. Even he even brought up what is their education level. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you we, have a, uh, we have had a we have a a one of our listeners that took in a uh, that uh, put in a, a chat indicating that maybe in Cobra may suggest a boycott of the Democrats in 2012. Is how <laughs> how would you all what's your sentiments or something like that? That is quite possible. That is quite possible. That That's is quite, quite possible. possible because, uh, because, yes, I think it's quite possible because we have many in our group who did not go with any party, even the Democratic Party this last time. They went with the Green Party. So that is quite possible. So is that a political move of Encobra, or that just uh, oh, oh, no, so that happens just outside that, of the direction of Encobra? No, no, that's some of the people in in COVID. That's how they feel. But uh, it hasn't come down from the uh, national board. Okay, here's our strategy we're going to use. And then after the national board makes such a decision, then they have to disseminate that information to the other regions so they'll know. 
that this is what we're about to do, you know. Like, I can appreciate uh, Baba Hannibal uh, Afrique, who was formerly known as Harold Charles. He used to live Correct. here in Chicago yeah. and write for the Yes, Senate. I remember him well. Uh, he wrote a letter to Bush <laughs> telling Bush what he wanted. But but like you have indicated in your uh, conversation, the people, they're not listening to us. So what is a good way well, to then, get them to listen? Maybe well, one of I the guess, callers can call in and tell us because we want to know how to make them listen, how to make them do it, do the right thing. Well, there's one uh, uh, person here indicated that uh, blacks are arguing from a point of weakness, especially oh. from an economic point. We'll not get reparations. So, is is there any legitimacy to that? Uh, to that listener that says that we are arguing from a point of weakness or would the Democrat or boycotting the uh, Democrats in 2012, is that a sign of weakness or could that be a sign of division among blacks uh, in the odds of, um, say, for example, what happened in Chicago with Carol Mosey Braun against Emmanuel Blacks voted for Emmanuel um, in support of Barack. Would blacks question in Cobra if it uh, boycott the Democrats in 2012? But I think what you already said is many in Cobra members went with the with the Green Party. You say that's correct. That's correct. Okay. That's so what correct. is the is 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 there a position that we are arguing from a point of weakness? And does the 2012 uh, boycott of the uh, Democrats, is that something that can fall in line with many of your members going to the Green Party? I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would because, uh, as you know, uh, uh, many people are very dissatisfied that our president has not done anything. I just got through reading something that John Conyers wrote in 2008. He said that once we get Barack in, we'll be able to move forward. Have you seen much movement? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's a matter of one's uh, perspective, and uh, that's the point of how one, uh, when Cobra, as it comes to reparation, probably need to make that statement. Um, maybe what I would do, since I am going to be a guest, uh, uh, on a panel at this uh, conference is mm-hmm. that I will put these uh, notes in my uh, remarks at the conference okay. and okay. see okay. what type of feedback we get if mm-hmm. nobody else do it. But I guess I'm just going to have to do it, huh? <laughs> okay, yeah. And so uh, what, uh, uh, elaborate a little bit on uh, the person's comment. Are we arguing from a side of, from a side of weakness? Well, this is, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, 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 Planka. Uh, he had a remark in the uh, chat on the uh, on our blog is that blacks are arguing from a point of weakness, especially from an economic point, and we are not get reparations. Does that relate? Uh, how do you analyze that statement? Yeah, I am trying my best to analyze it. So, okay. and uh, then he if, went if, on if to we, say, "If we were, if we were rich, 
we wouldn't be arguing from a point of uh, a weakness, right? Um, if all the rich black people got together and had a discussion, they would not be arguing from the point of weakness, right? They would have. Well, we got a lot of rich power, people right? here now. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, if she, I think, you know, she was uh, a part of a major instrument of bringing the attention to the the worthiness of Barack Obama. And she got a whole bunch of money, so she definitely made some influence. So I don't know how the point of weakness will refer to her, because well, I don't know. I guess you know. So I don't know if it's about money or is it just about being weak. I'm not for sure. Maybe that caller can kind of uh, uh, expound on his um, or her remarks here. Right, right, exactly. Because I'm curious to know. Because I don't want to. So I don't want to take. I don't want to have a, a a weak argument or a weak uh, a motto. You mm-hmm. know, uh, like I've heard some uh, some of the uh, supporters say, "Oh, don't use the word reparation. That would turn people off." So then okay. that sounds like you might be coming from the weak part. Whereas if you just said human rights, they can feel more comfortable with that word. Well, the uh, the listener also made the remarks, and and he continued to uh, make remarks in the chat room, states that reparations is a trade-off. I got something you need. You got something I want. Blacks don't have the business, nor are they controlling any percentage of of, uh, commercial, any percentage in commercial markets. Can you interpret or respond to those remarks that the uh, listener um, put in the chat room? Uh, he mentioned that uh, uh, the person mentioned that we don't have any uh, ability to do any trade-offs. He said, "They said uh, trade-offs." Uh, again, he 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 writes, "Reparation is a trade-off. A I trade-off. got something okay. you need. You got something I want. How would you interpret that?" Well, uh, I don't think it should be a trade-off because uh, uh, we uh, we just need the what was taken from us, taken from our culture, uh, whereby we didn't get any interest, we didn't get our heritage, and so therefore, when we receive that back, it won't be a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, as we get closer, that's going to be next week. Uh, next next uh, this coming next weekend. Yeah, this uh, coming the conference. Very close. So, mm-hmm. uh, as we uh, close this session out on our program, can you give us some final words regarding the uh, conference that's coming up? Okay, I can say that uh, we're going to have a hip hop journey with our ancestors. A very uh, interesting uh, video on Saturday night. And uh, we're going to have uh, uh, well, two fine people coming in from Georgia to talk about how can we heal the oppression's wounds. Well, they're asking you know. the question, are they going to give an answer as well? Yeah, they do. They're real good. Oh, they, okay. They, Very they, good. They, they have a, they're going to have two-part workshops for that because, you okay. know, this, some of these wounds are going to take a little while. And what yeah. I had planned on doing because I didn't get around to it, and somebody said that they've done that in their city, is that I wanted to write a grant whereby anybody who had any problems could come for a year of counseling 
And as a matter of fact, I see the homeless on the street, and I say part of their problems is because of this this trauma that's going on inside them. And I just wish I could reach out to them. And one gentleman, he held his hand out. He had a nickel in his hand, and he asked me for a penny. And right away I knew he needed counseling. I said, have you ever went to counseling? He whipped out a piece of paper. I said, unfold it. It said psychiatric evaluation. So he said he's been going to people, All the young people on the train was cracking up. They were cracking mm-hmm. up when he asked me for That's a penny. So, well, so, look, so, uh, Robert, we want to uh, thank you for being on the program. Uh, oh, I'm definitely so going to be at the uh, uh, conference myself. Uh, right. And, we got and, you down you know, between be, uh, 1030 and 12 noon Saturday. And also I need to I thank, thank uh, Sanja for the nice announcement, but I see why I haven't received any calls. She did not give the correct area code. The area code is 312-720-0648, not 773. So uh, did you hear that, Sonia? Well, Ms. Baker, I'm so glad that you're here with us this evening so that you can correct that. And uh, <laughs> I will I will do another announcement and run that mm-hmm. next week so that we do actually have the correct information. Okay, so it can't be corrected right away, huh? Okay, well, well it's be, been, it it's been be, so it, enjoyable. It could be corrected yeah. tomorrow. We'll we'll do that for you. Okay, okay. okay. Well, again, uh, Barbara, thank you for being with us. And uh, okay. don't, don't go nowhere because we got another guest, and I want you to, as he get through making his remarks, I want you to join back in with that conversation as well. Okay, no problem. Okay. okay. Well, Miss Sonia, you know what reparations is about now? You ready to go get uh, reparations? I'm ready. I want mine. You listen to Black All Wall right. Street USA, Chairman Ron Car- Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network and author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, and that's in Cobra's 22nd Annual National Conference and that's June 24th through the 26th at Sixth Grace Presbyterian Church, which is located at 600 East 35th Street. And uh, the area code is 312-720-0648, 312-720-0648. And you were just listening to the co-chair of NCOBRA Chicago Chapter. Now you, too, know what reparations are, but the, I guess the bottom line is, are we going to get any? We're going to be right back after this break with our guest, Mr. Frank Lawrence of Commercial Residential Partners, and Black Wall Street is going green.
You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. Our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, publisher and editor of the South Street Journal. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of CBBN, and your host for this evening's show. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That's how we connect. Joining us uh, in a few moments will be Mr. Frank Lawrence of Commercial Residential Partners in Maryland. I just want to remind you that we're here every Thursday evening on Black Wall Street USA from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. If you're interested in being a guest on an upcoming show, give us a call, 312-239-8835, 312-239-8835. Ron Carter's direct number is 312-624-8351, 312-624-8351. You can listen to all of our shows right on blackwallstreetdistrict.com. That's www blackwallstreetdistrict.com. You may also listen to a rebroadcast of this show on wjpcchicago.com. That's Saturday mornings from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's www.wjpcchicago.com. Let's uh, bring the chairman back on, and we want to bring our guest on. Mr. Frank Lawrence, welcome to Black Wall Street USA. Thank you, Sonia. I am so happy to be here. Yes, well, we're glad to have you here. How you doing since last we talked uh, Monday, was it? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was, Ron, and uh, I'm doing great, I tell you. Over the course of the last 90 days, I've been in nine states, and my visit to Chicago uh, has put me in a position where I just really, really love Chicago. I love the people and most importantly, uh, I love the work that's going on with uh, the Black Wall Street districts, and I'm certainly excited about sharing with our listening audience some of the profound work that you and I have accomplished uh, over the course of the last several months. Is that work also including a little trip or getting lost in downtown Chicago a little bit? Uh, have you experienced that yet? Oh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. And okay. uh, I tell you, it, it's one of the nicest places uh, in America to get lost in. Uh, I just love the architecture. And, uh, of course, visually, it, it's pretty astounding. Um, but, so it wasn't really such a drawback getting lost in downtown Chicago. And I want to thank you uh, for your guided tour down there because that's uh, <laughs> some of the good spots that I can certainly come back and revisit, Ron. Great. Well, as we... Um um, we're going. I'm just going to reflect on some of the words of uh, the former uh, CEO of the Chicago Urban League. She indicated that Black uh, Chicago will be the next Black Wall Street. She made those remarks just as Black Wall Street Chicago was being developed in uh, 2007. So within that last four years, we jumped on um, 75th Street as a Black Wall Street district. Now we're up to 17 Black Wall Street districts. What that got to do with green? That's a very good question, Ron. And if we look at the totality of what we all hear about, and that's the green energy movement, institutions going green, 
and our responsibility to the environment is very simply this. We as a nation uh, have relied on fossil fuels uh, for our transportation needs, the automobiles, to a point where our environment uh, is almost decimated because of carbon dioxide exposure, and that's what we get as a byproduct of burning fossil fuels, gasoline and diesel. But most importantly... Well, let me break you in on you just that, that quick. Just as you indicate the the harm of the fuel, how can that message be actually driven as we still smoke cigarettes? Is anybody concerned about it? Well, yes, there are. And believe it or not, uh, due to the research and the exposure that I've had in a large, uh, large major metropolitan areas on the eastern seaboard, uh, like Baltimore, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Chicago is one of the most greenest states in the union, and we are very active uh, in producing uh, renewable energy resources in all walks of our uh, existence here in Chicago, whether it's uh, through transmission of energy, uh, we're working on uh, biofuels, uh, we're working on infrastructures that will allow us to uh, redirect some resources into solar power and so on. But let me share with you why it's so important for Chicago and most importantly for the Black Wall Street to take the lead in what I feel will be a very profound statement from our community. Just like in 1921 uh, when O.W. Gurley left Arkansas and came to Oklahoma to create Wall Street, that's 90 years ago, it's very important it was important for him to take advantage of utilizing self-sufficiency and not relying on the community at large, which was the white power structure, in order to build his vision of a self-sustaining African-American community. Now, when we talk about electricity and energy, we as a people are being taken advantage of because, for example, anytime there is a rate increase, more than likely, the state utilities commissions are going to grant those increases because of the power that Tom Edison has had over the last century. Now, the reason that it's important for us to focus on the generation of electricity and how we can utilize our electricity consumption to take advantage of some of those energy dollars to put back in our community is this. Coal is the most efficient way of producing electricity in America. It takes millions and millions of tons of coal on a daily basis to turn the turbines that produce electricity. But here's the downfall. Burning that coal produces carbon dioxide also, which is, on a scientific level, and I want to keep it very simple, it's like this. Whenever we burn coal or we run automobiles, it produces the carbon dioxide, which in turn causes what's referred to as the greenhouse effect. This greenhouse effect melts ice caps on both poles, so therefore we have this abnormal weather patterns as a direct result of our polar ice cap shrinking, but also this excess carbon dioxide that's being put into our atmosphere uh, is putting us in a position where it's going to harm our ecological infrastructure because People are getting asthma as a direct result of too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And burning of this coal has to be minimized. So in order to minimize it, we go green by utilizing renewable energy sources like wind power, solar power, and also hydroelectricity. So in a nutshell, that's what we mean by going green. Mm -hmm. So how do we um, 
uh, or Black Wall Street fit? How does it fit into Black Wall Street agenda as far as pushing this? Now there is the concept that uh, that is being thrown around to uh, contractors that you better turn green, you better get into the green business, um, and. How far are we behind, or are we still on the edge as the rest of the uh, public is on green? That's a very good question, Ron, and thanks to your leadership, I can gladly say uh, that we are right on track. Uh, We are right at the cusp in terms of providing the kind of leadership where we are actually green. And I say that because we now, As a nation, if you look at uh, the Wall Street, the Black Wall Street districts in its totality, the Black Wall Street Merchants Association, we now own our own energy company. Now, what that allows us to do is now we have the ability to offer green energy to all of our constituents in all of our communities, and most importantly, at a much more substantial savings than what we're now paying to Commonwealth Edison. Because now, when you what? say own, in what capacity are you speaking of, of of ownership? Is that ownership based on stocks? Uh, is that ownership based on profit, or is that ownership based mm-hmm. on how much one invests in it? Uh, mm-hmm. How are you uh, relating to that term ownership? All of those that you just mentioned, uh, and of course, uh, there is one caveat, and I'll say that for last. Ownership in a sense where. In the African-American community, we are large consumers of electricity. Electricity is habitually used and unconsciously purchased. The total gross volume in dollars of the electric industry, Ron, is half a trillion dollars. We're talking about $500 billion. And 10 years ago, the United States government deregulated the electric industry, which simply opened the door for third-party energy providers to directly provide competition to what we refer to as the incumbent providers, like Tom Edison in Chicago, like National Grid in Boston. So essentially what that means is through the work that we've endeavored over the last several months, we now can compete in energy markets on a global level and buy our electricity on wholesale markets and be just as competitive as Tom Edison has been because ComEdison can't profit off of the supply side of electricity anymore, which has opened the door for Black Wall Street Energy and the affiliates that we're currently working on to actively compete in global energy markets, purchase electricity for our customer base. And here's the most important thing. When we're in a position to purchase our own electricity on global markets, we are now in a position to take advantage of the profit that's associated with the buying and the selling of electricity, just Mm -hmm. like Commonwealth Edison. Because when you're buying wholesale electric energy and you're selling it at a retail cost, that difference is what we refer to, and as you know as well as I as a business person, that's your profit margin. For almost a century, these gigantic profit margins have enriched the coffers of shareholders who were fortunate enough, and typically these are high net worth individuals who can be able to invest in energy stocks, and they do invest in energy stocks quite abundantly because they know that they're going to get a high return because they have such leverage in governmental entities that they're almost assured of rate increases on a quarterly basis. 
and I'll share with you how Con Edison is essentially uh, in a position to gouge the city of Chicago uh, for the hottest part of the year, the most expensive part of the year in terms of our electricity cost. But going back to how we're able to take advantage of this rainfall is that we can now take those profit margins, invest in brand new energy investments like new jobs in the energy arena, uh, whether it's uh, solar power panel factories, whether it's in energy infrastructures, whether it's in energy construction. But now we have the ability to create hundreds, even thousands of jobs based on the fact that President Obama has set aside billions of dollars for green energy companies like ours so that we can now take advantage and now create jobs in our community based on deregulation. Well, there is, we have, yeah, and but we have some questions and concerns from some of uh, our, um, our listeners that is chatting. Uh, there's one comment is stating that uh, retailing what someone is producing and selling uh, your wholesale, selling you wholesale is not a great idea. South Koreans and other Asians uh, will never sell Black, uh, blacks at family prices. Does that relate to what you are uh, proposing based on this comment that's written here? Uh, well, does if I that... understand the comment correctly, it sounds as if there is some distrust uh, being voiced by the author of uh, the blog or the email that's saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that African-Americans buying and selling energy futures will not yield success. Am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, retailing what someone else is producing and selling you wholesale is not a great idea, indicating that using Koreans and other Asians, as an example, they would never sell, uh, they would never sell uh, blacks at family prices, so it's more like blacks can never get in the good old boy network, so to speak. Is that the case when it comes to energy? And he went on to write that after you go out and course people to go with the company you are marketing for, uh, they got the companies, uh, they got the customers, and will stop your residuals. Is that uh, well? I, 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 I do appreciate some of the, the comments that uh, the, the writer has, but let me assure you this: uh, trading for energy in global energy markets, Ron, is akin to the scenario of trading crude oil futures in a global market. Whereas uh, a third-party entity, whether it's Shell or Exxon or whomever. The end product that you drive to the gas pump and put in your vehicle is a direct result of energy traders on global markets that are buying and selling what we refer to as energy futures. Now, uh-huh. there is no discrimination in the haste for energy sellers to provide energy to a particular group. The only requirement, of course, is through relationship building. And the way those relationships are built are from individuals that are savvy in the industry, and I have the necessary relationships that are established from Wall Street all the way to Chicago's Wall Street. And I've had an extensive uh, background in trading. Also, as a bank auditor, I've worked in the insurance industry, and most recently, as of three years ago, uh, I was sent to Baltimore, Maryland, to open energy markets for a 
Texas-based energy company. So it's not as conspiratorial as you may make it sound. The only reason that African Americans have not partaken in energy trading, especially as it relates to our direct consumption of electric energy, is because we've just not put the infrastructure together and proceeded to take advantage of it. And I will assure you. What is the advantage um, as we look at the Chicago market? What is that advantage in uh, black and black Wall Street uh, taking advantage of that this new market? Because I do see that uh, even on TV now, uh, that's green when they introducing these electric cars. I'm seeing electric cars being more introduced yeah. and introduced, uh, and that's the emphasis of green. But as far as the energy purchasing. What is the advantage and what's the dollar amount that we're talking about or what's the market share that can be secured? Well, let me finalize uh, what I was going to say is to end up on the the question and comment that the individual had. and He made mention of uh, a term called residual. Uh, This is not a network marketing scenario where we're simply serving up customers to a third-party company uh, for a network marketing kind of a business. Uh, we are a true energy company, and of course, by virtue of us having those relationships on global markets, then we can simply offer the best rates and the best service available. Now, going to uh, the subject matter of, of, of green energy and how you know green energy will ultimately involve into other green aspects of energy conservation and, of course, our, our responsibility uh, globally to keep the ecosystem in balance like through electric cars and so on, Let's take example, 100,000 African-American customers who are partaking in Black Wall Street no longer use Commonwealth Edison, who for the last 90 years have essentially had their wherewithal in terms of charging us whatever they want. Now, with Con Edison buying their energy on the open market, selling it for retail, they've taken those profit margins, and they have not put any of that profit back into our communities They have simply given that money to the investors, and I will share this with you. Commonwealth Edison has an obligation to us as consumers, but most importantly, they have a responsibility to their shareholders, and that responsibility to their shareholders is pure profit. So let me put that down as the foundation. Now, to answer the second part of the question, how will it benefit Black Wall Street? It's like this. Let's take this handful of 100,000 customers. And we're able to purchase electricity on the open markets today. And electricity on the open markets today, right now, are very good priced or very well priced. Uh, There are some very good deals in the way that oil futures and electric futures are sold. Uh, They're sold in blocks where millages or hundreds of pennies are your margin. But if you look at the totality of selling, millions and millions and millions of kilowatt hours, those tenths of pennies add up uh, very, very quickly. So with that 100,000 customers in mind, if we're able, like we are, to buy our prices or take our oil purchases, our electric purchases, and buy those at wholesale rates, and then keep the cost down to the end user, now we're able to take those margins, and those margins can be channeled into other areas of green energy exploration, into jobs that will be generated as a direct result of Black Wall Street having control over those margins of dollars, which traditionally have gone to come Edison uh, shareholders. Now, mm-hmm. let me add this, Ron. People must 
leave Tom Edison. And regardless of what people say about how great a job Tom Edison has done, they've done a remarkable job for the last century, but this industry has not been affected. The reason the federal government filed antitrust legislation against the energy industry as we know it in America is because the whole idea was to create competition, similar to what happened uh, when the telecommunications industry deregulated some 30 years ago. Now, Tom Edison should have sent everyone in its market letters, letting them know that now they have a choice to choose a third-party provider because the federal government says that they can't make money off of the supply side of electricity, but they will still deliver it to your home. They still will be able to come out and do repairs in the event of needed repairs after a storm or what have you. They still will have their big Tom Edison trucks driving around Chicago, so nothing changes other than when you partake in the product that's going to be offered by Black Wall Street Energy, you're going to pay less, you're going to be using a green energy component, and it's going to help provide the financial infrastructure which will give us the kind of leverage that the previous uh, caller was talking about in terms of us having resources on a global level. We don't have the resources like uh, mortgage-backed securities. We don't own interest in gold mines and foreign markets. But what we can do immediately is have relationships on a global level with energy providers that will sell energy to the constituents here in Chicago, and that is real. And this process has already taken place, as you know. Well, I can reflect on probably in the early 80s when um, there was uh, talk about cable coming to maybe late 70s, early 80s, and there was talk about cable coming to Chicago. And in the midst of that, there was put on the agenda uh, that uh, blacks would be controlling um, somewhere of, of close to about 60% of the cable in the uh, black neighborhoods. Where that was then, now today, blacks have no, <laughs> uh, that I know of, um, uh, controlling interest in any cable uh, operation in Chicago. Is Mm-hmm. That similar to the scenario based on if blacks are not involved in this uh, in this uh, providing the uh, green energy that we may be left behind as we were left behind when it came to cable. Well, that's a very good question as well, Ron. Because unless there was a third party holding company or a separate entity outside of the the cable company who was providing the entertainment services to the end user, then there would not be a channeling of resources as a direct result of capturing uh, the revenue and whatever percentages that would be allocated to this third party, hence the black community. Now, since that infrastructure was not set up, you can see how easy it would be for the business-as-usual approach to just simply take place. Whereas the black community may have had expectations of some resources from their usage, but in the absence of an infrastructure being set up, then there is certainly no way uh, that the cable provider uh, would have been able to allocate funds specifically earmarked for certain areas of the community, although they probably participated in sharing the wealth by hiring African Americans uh, in the capacity of uh, service personnel, installation uh, personnel, and so on. But let me share with you how it differs with the electric energy side. 
in the black Wall Street energy conglomerate, for lack of a better term, there is an infrastructure which, number one, does uh, negotiating and purchase of electricity on the open market, just as the large energy providers and ComEdison is already doing. There are relationships that we've built with multiple energy brokers, not only in Chicago, but New York and in London, England. So those kinds of relationships have already been established. And the next step in terms of us putting uh, and implementing uh, the entire energy uh, company for Black Wall Street is just simply uh, a commitment made by the existing energy users who are using ComEdison and say, hey, look, we want to support the energy that's coming out of Black Wall Street energy. It's not that so are you saying that those potential customers are uh, investing through their purchase or is it separate in their investing for a lack of word, a Black Wall Street energy company? How is that ownership taking place? Is it taking place based on uh, uh, them actually making a separate investment or are oh. they doing it as being customers of this energy company? That's a very good question, too, Ron, because the perception sometimes whenever there is an idea that there may be change, people are a little bit hesitant because we're all creatures of habit. But absolutely nothing changes except for the fact is that you are exercising choice, and that's all deregulation has done. Because what we're simply doing is following through with a law. The federal government has said that deregulation has to take place, and as a matter of fact, it started 10 years ago here in Chicago. A lot of folks just don't know that. And so all they have to simply do is, through our database, is with two mouse clicks, enter their account number, and they're no longer Com Edison end users on the supply side. They're now receivers of the green energy product that's being offered by Black Wall Street, and Com Edison still delivers it uh, to the meter. And so, really, nothing changes. There's no investment. There is no credit check. Uh, there are no deposits. It's a very seamless transition from a system where you have not been able to have any kind of financial reciprocity to a system where now we can create dozens and hundreds and even thousands of green energy jobs because guess what? The President of the United States has already allocated billions of dollars for enterprises that are going to build institutions, companies, uh, and offer training and offer uh, construction of, of green energy uh, products and services, whether it's uh, solar panels or whether it's energy-efficient uh, housing activity or what have you. And the beautiful thing about it is if we don't take advantage of it, and it's right here in our faces, I can assure you that there are dozens of white-owned companies in this area that are lining up that are going to line up in such a way where if we don't take advantage of it first and allow our resources to be recycled again, then we can't invest in creating jobs. And jobs is the biggest advantage that we're going to have by going green. Mm -hmm. Now, doing a, uh, I don't know if this here is a fair comparison in another uh, question from our chat line, but it indicates, and, and again, because these are private companies versus utility companies, but the uh, writer states Five Links, Lightyear, Global Verge, all have went under because Verizon 
and AT&T control the infrastructure, the towers, satellites, switching, etc., etc. So I, I'm looking at the writer is indicating that uh, if you don't control the infrastructure, the larger companies will put a hold on your um, assets or your growth. Is that the case? Well, I, think, I think what's going on is uh, the individuals that are calling in, I heard a mention of a company called Five Links, and uh, uh-huh. that's what I'm thinking is a, it's a, an online store and a multi-level marketing company. And there is a distinct difference between an energy company that's already been licensed and sanctioned uh, by the Public Utilities Commission. And these are private companies. I guess the difference may be because these are private companies opposed to a utility company. Well, let me mention this. All all, uh, Commonwealth Edison does as a, quote, utility company is they buy electricity on wholesale global markets and resell it for retail. Uh, they're no different than what we're doing within the confines of the Black Wall Street Energy Company. I think that there is this perception sometimes in our African-American communities that we aren't savvy or smart enough to do what the big boys do, but I will assure the uh, blogger or the person that's sending in the information that we are and are just as competitive. We <laughs> well, to- I have to say this blogger, uh, uh, he's definitely have wrote some comments. It seems as though that he, he's, as a matter of fact, he's one of our uh, regular listeners as well that's yes, throwing sir. these questions out. Uh, but then again, there are a, there is a, a switch of thought of getting into if I can use the term, the big business, so to speak. And what you're proposing as we're getting ready to get to our uh, closing remarks. um, Well, let me share this with you, Ron. We are in the big business of buying and purchasing energy, and it's not on a multi-level marketing scenario, nor is it uh, based on some kind of an Internet-based shopping mall. Uh, This is the real deal. Uh, nations buy energy from the same energy resources they're going to provide the energy for Black Wall Street. Now, I would advise uh, the callers and anyone out there to just simply sit back for a moment and take a look at the devastation that's going on in our communities with this, this just total outpouring of our financial resources. Now, if we're in a position to capture one dollar per meter, put it back inside of Black Wall Street where it will generate one job. That's a situation where if we uh, exponentially do that by hundreds of thousands of meters, then we're not in a position to beg anymore because we'll have the financial wherewithal where we can now compete on a global level and use our financial resources as a way to obtain the kind of advantages that we need to grow our communities. Now, we'll not only be providing electricity, but we're also going to be providing gas. We're also going to be providing infrastructure for the manufacture of solar panels. We're also going to provide the infrastructure for manufacturing of other uh, companies' uh, offerings for uh, solar panel construction. So you're saying that uh, the uh, the people that Black Wall Street engage are – they are investors separate from their purchasing. Is that the case, or is that a separate uh, transaction, or is that a transaction in in one um, operation? 
And that is a very good question also, Ron, because let's look at it like this. Uh, electric energy is not really a product. If you look at electricity in its totality, it's a force. Now, in order to harness this force and refine it in such a way where it can be contained and it can be sent through transmission lines uh, and, and through transport stations, and ultimately we have the ability to flick a switch and electricity comes into our home, uh, the infrastructure necessary to do that uh, costs billions and billions of dollars. Now, those entities that are able to harness electricity, those individual entities are separate from those agencies that are buying and selling right. energy futures on global markets. And well, you know what, uh, Frank, what we're going to have to do, because Sonia, she's not in the room with me, but if she was, she would probably hit me upside my head. Because we're coming, because I definitely was, uh, even though we have met and we have talked, I still learn more based on the the simplicity of getting into this as well as the vast knowledge that comes along with how simple of a transaction and a a, a direction that we need mm-hmm. to go. Uh, but Absolutely we are, right. I'll be able can't. to address more at the summit. Uh, I apologize. You're going to be able to because we're going to have you back here on and able Chicago. to answer individual questions. Right. Yeah, well, we're going to have you back here. We're going to, uh, Sonia is going to find a way to get you back here on the program so that we can definitely go into more details and also at the summit as well. So if you can, in a quick uh, um, a minute or less, uh, give us your closing remarks. Well, as in the spirit of O.W. Gurley uh, in 1921, after he had to flee the South, the deep South of Arkansas, based on the atrocities committed during the Red Summer of 1919, he put together a mandate of self-sufficiency. We now are faced with a fantastic opportunity to be in a position to do the same thing 90 years later. It starts with the most basic service that you, I, and everyone in the listening audience uses on a regular daily basis. And I ask all of those individuals out there to embrace this. Don't look at the negative side of how we're not going to be successful. We will Mm -hmm. be successful because I've got the personnel in place, and most importantly, Mm -hmm. God is with this initiative to help the Black Mm -hmm. Wall Street Initiative, the Black Wall Street Merchants Association, the Black Wall Street mm-hmm. Energy Conglomerate, and all facets of our work are going to be successful. So I want everyone to keep that in mind. All right. Well, I, I got to uh, also let you know that our blogger also indicated that he is no way uh, against it. He supports it. He just feels as though we just got to be on top of it based on the big boys may pull the rug if we're not on top of it. Uh, and he's referring to uh, Comet, so to speak. So well, I'll tell look. you what, uh, I asked your caller to come out to the summit, and I'll be able to address any of those questions because we're just as big as Comet. Okay. We're going to pull the rug out from under their feet, but we have hundreds of thousands of customers going over to Black Wall Street Energy. Saving well, money let's, get this, let's get this support. thing going, and I know that uh, is definitely a direction we got to go. Uh, we're going to find a way to uh, get Frank back. Is that a fact, Sonia? That is a fact. Hey, Mr. Lawrence, I, that was quite a, a dialogue there. I did learn a lot, 
but there, there's a, a lot more to be said as we clarify it and move forward. We appreciate you being our guest oh, this evening. Absolutely. Thank and you. we'll have as many open forums as necessary in order to educate our people on the value of us unifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us this evening. It's my pleasure. Yes, thank Sonia. you, uh, Mr. Lawrence. Appreciate your time. So, Sonia, you got an earful, huh? Oh yeah, it's great dialogue. That's what that's what it's all about. Uh, we don't talk green a lot. It's not a part of our regular dialogues. And so, as we grow and learn, that's what that's what we're going to do. We're going to have more dialogues, speak the language, and by the time it's over, well, we'll all be pros uh, on green energy. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. How fast these two hours go! We got one oh, minute yeah, left. Oh yeah, very fast. I don't know what happened. I looked up and said, "Oh my gosh!" I said, "Let me get going here," you know. But uh, no, <laughs> it, it's very intense, uh, and it does uh, spread the agenda and the rising of Black Wall Street as we do have to look at uh, not only the city planning as 2040, but the city's productivity as it relates to energy. Thank you, Mr. Carter. Now, see, he wouldn't even give me the two minutes. So we're listening to Black Wall Street, Oops, USA. Sorry, got sure. well, you got three minutes. What are you talking about? You got one minute then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't even give me my two minutes, people. <laughs> Listen to Black Wall Street USA. Be sure to join us. Mr. Frank Lawrence is one of our keynote speakers on Friday, June 24th from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at 449 East 35th Street in Chicago leading up to the summit on July the 9th. want to say that Ms. Kelvin, the co-chairman of the Government Oversight Committee, is hosting uh, Open Forum on June 21st. From at six fifteen at one hundred two hundred five South King Drive, that's St. John De La Salle Church basement, and she will be discussing. It's going to be hot. Uh, why we're not giving the, getting the government contracts? It's pretty much that simple. What's going on with that? That's where she is. Thank you, Ron, and uh, thank you, guests, and thank you uh, in the chat room. We appreciate you. We'll be back here next week, seven p.m. to nine p.m. This is Black Wall Street USA. Thank you all. Good night.